Our text this morning is Psalm 27. I'll go ahead and read it. This is uh, the word of the Lord. Give your attention to the reading of God's word for his glory and for our good. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord." Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait. For the Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. This might seem like an unlikely psalm for the Sunday before Christmas. I hope as we look at it together, we'll see that it helps us marvel at the wonder of the incarnation. Uh, I'll say something about the shape of the whole psalm, but really I want to dive in to the center of the psalm, and in particular, verse 4. Psalm 27 uh, is a psalm of David, or maybe a psalm to David, or maybe a psalm about David. Nobody really knows how to translate uh, that phrase for sure. Uh, It is a psalm of faithful confidence, where the psalmist professes his confidence in verses 1 to 6. Praise his confidence in verses 7 to 12 and exhorts others to share in his confidence in verses 13 to 14. Uh, You can hear the confidence at the very beginning of the psalm. The psalmist describes God as my light and my salvation and the stronghold of my life. Uh, Light is what drives away the darkness. Salvation is being rescued when life has been all but swallowed up by death. And stronghold, a stronghold is a fortified place, 
a protected place, a place that you can run and be safe. Uh, Each declaration is followed by a rhetorical question. Uh, If you are afraid of darkness, death, and danger, what is the result of having light, salvation, and refuge? Uh, It's to say, uh, whom shall I fear? Of what shall I be afraid? Uh, And so often in the Psalms, the biggest threat to faith is not evil, it is fear. Uh, It's good for us to remember the real threat is not that there are bad people out there who might win the day because they're stronger than the Lord. The real threat is that fear causes us to assert control, to rely on our own strength or wisdom, and to prefer self-protection over trust in God. Uh, Now, the reasons that the psalmist has to battle fear becomes clear in verses 2 and 3 and 10 and 12. And we read things like, uh, evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Uh, They want to devour him like an animal devours its prey. Uh, An army encamps against me, which might make you think of David often on the run, outnumbered and outgunned by Saul's forces. My father and my mother have forsaken me. The psalmist is abandoned by his closest relationships. Uh, False witnesses breathe out violence. There are people who exhale hate and hostility like we exhale CO2. So the psalm is capturing the most extreme circumstances. That's what we're supposed to get out of these descriptions. Uh, An army is a great physical threat. Uh, Parents forsaking you is a great emotional or relational threat. Uh, False witnesses uh, are a great social or legal threat. And maybe for us, it's not that we are encompassed by a deadly army, but by a deadly virus. Maybe we haven't been forsaken by parents, but we experience loneliness and isolation. Maybe no one is breathing out violence toward us, but we're in a cultural moment marked by polarization and social fracturing where every word could end a friendship. Our experience doesn't have to match up exactly with the situation of the psalmist, for us to understand uh, that uh, fear threatens faith. And all this leads to the psalmist's uh, reflection on the one thing that he really wants. Uh, Now, given what we just saw in verses 2 and 3 and 10 and 12 about armies and false witnesses and people who want to Uh, you know, eat him up and devour him. What is the one thing you would ask for from the Lord in this situation? Uh, I, personally, might ask for vindication with a little side of revenge. Uh, Or maybe I would ask to just escape my circumstances. You know, if I could fly away like a bird, the Psalms say elsewhere. You know, Calgon, take me away, for those of you old enough to remember the commercial. If you just laugh, you just designated that you're old enough to remember that commercial. Uh, these are our two basic responses to feeling under threat. Fight or flight. 
conquer our enemies or get away from them. But in Psalm 27, the response is not fight or flight, it's actually sight. The psalmist says, the one thing that I want, the one thing that I'm going to seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. Uh, Which at first sounds like the psalmist is cheating. Uh, He says he wants one thing and then he names three things, which is not fair. Uh, But I think what he's saying is dwelling in the house of the Lord means gazing on the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his temple. The one thing is that the psalmist wants his whole life to be immersed in doing these two things that you do in the presence of God, beholding beauty and seeking truth, beholding beauty and seeking truth. Now, this is the only psalm, to my knowledge, that describes God as beautiful. Uh, Beauty is magnetic. Uh, Beauty invites gazing and exploration. Even that word, to gaze on the beauty, right? It's it's not a a quick, passing glance. Uh, The beautiful thing attracts our attention It captivates us. Uh, It is about adoration, not about information. Uh, Inquiring or meditating, when the psalmist says that I might inquire or meditate in his temple, that is different. That is learning and seeking and examining and scrutinizing. Uh, I inquire because I recognize that God is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. There are things that I don't know. There are things I want to discover. Uh, I don't want to just see the Lord. I want to be directed by the Lord. Now, most of us, not all of us, but most of us are better at truth than beauty. Uh, We know truths about God intellectually, and even spiritually by faith. But we don't experience God as beautiful. Uh, You know, truth without beauty is sterile, just like beauty without truth becomes subjective and sentimental. Uh, Beauty and truth go together. When you dwell in the house of the Lord, which is to say, when you are in the presence of the Lord, you get both, beholding beauty and seeking truth. Uh, So the psalmist, surrounded by those who hate and slander and want to destroy him, he wants one thing. Uh, And I just want to note again that that one thing is not a change in his circumstances. I have battled in my ministry people's tendency to believe in what I call sanctification by changed circumstances, 
What I really need is to change my job. What I really need is to change my town. What I really need is to change my spouse. And then my life can be what God really wants it to be, which is a euphemism for my life can be the way I really want it to be. Uh, The problem with changing your circumstances is simply this. Wherever you go, you take your heart with you. What you need is not new circumstances. What you need is a renewed heart. And the psalmist understands uh, that if he can just be with the Lord, if he can just behold the Lord's beauty, if he can just inquire about his goodness and love and power, he can rise above anything that life throws his way, any threat that, that um, life throws his way. And you see that in verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says, God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. uh, And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Uh, Now let me just say something briefly about verses 7 to 12. Verses 7 to 12 are kind of a restatement of the first six verses of the psalm in the form of a prayer. Uh, The one thing the psalmist wants is God's presence in the midst of trouble. Uh, And so in the second half of the psalm, the psalmist turns to God and asks for his help in the midst of trouble. Uh, And we get this little conversation between God and the psalmist in verses 8 and 9, where uh, we read... Uh, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. So it's not just uh, that the psalmist wants to see and gaze upon God. God has actually invited his people to seek his face. And the psalmist's heart has responded to this invitation. And the psalmist says, I seek your face which makes him pray, Lord, don't, don't hide your face from me. The word face keeps appearing uh, in these verses because God's face is another way of describing his presence. God's face is the source of light and salvation and refuge the psalmist talks about in verse 1. Uh, and just like in verse 4 where the psalmist says, you know, the one thing that I want is to be in your presence, to gaze on your beauty and to inquire I want to behold beauty and seek truth. Now in verses 9 to 12, uh, he prays the same thing. Don't hide your face from me, but teach me your way. Don't let me lose sight of your beauty, Lord, and keep instructing me. It's just the same themes from the first half of the psalm. Uh, Now, I said that this was a psalm of David. Or maybe a a psalm for David, written in his honor. Or maybe a psalm about David. Uh, It makes us reflect on David. Again, nobody really knows for sure. But in one way or another, this is a psalm uh, that makes us think about David. Uh, David, who wanted to build the house of the Lord, but was not allowed to. Uh, And the temple and the dwelling place that David wanted to build... That has become flesh. And the beauty that is the one thing the psalmist wants to gaze upon, that beauty 
has become incarnate to dwell with us so we can behold his glory. Uh, This is our doctrine of the incarnation. The incarnation makes the beauty of God visible in a way that it had never been before. Uh, In the incarnation, the feet of beauty actually touch the ground and walk on the earth. Uh, The Bible talks about Jesus this way. He is the radiance of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3. The fullness of deity dwells bodily in him, Colossians 2.9. God in the flesh dwelling and tabernacling among us, John 1.14. Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1.23. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, John 14. Uh, And then you can think about the way that the first epistle of John starts uh, by noting the word of life, which was from the beginning, came and we have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him, we have beheld him, and we have even touched him with our hands. Again, this is our conviction about the incarnation, to look into the face of Jesus Christ is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the way the psalmist reflects in Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, At the same time, what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Rather, he was as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So wait a second. Is Jesus beautiful, or is Jesus not beautiful? How do these things go together? And I don't think the point of Isaiah is primarily uh, about his physical appearance. I think it's about his rejection and his suffering. As Isaiah foresees the cross, where the beautiful one becomes not beautiful for us. And the incarnation of beauty leads to the horror of the crucifixion. Because as sinners, we don't like the beauty of God. And as sinners, we don't want the beauty of God in our lives. And we reject the beauty of his character, even to the point of sending Jesus to a cross. And yet, even in our rejection and in Jesus' suffering, God is still displaying his beauty. Uh, Because Jesus endures everything that Psalm 27 actually talks about. Surrounded by enemies, forsaken by closest relationships, given up to the will of those who breathe out violence against him, uh, the testimony of false witnesses. Jesus endures all of that, but he does it for us. That's part of his beauty. Beauty is that he endures it all so we can dwell in the presence and gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Uh, remember, what John, remember what Jesus says in John 17? He says, It is my desire for my people to be with me where I am, 
so that they might see me and my glory. Uh, It's why he became incarnate. It's why he went to the cross, so we could sit in the presence of the Lord and behold his beauty. Uh, You know what Psalm 27 says about beholding beauty and seeking truth brings to my mind a passage in the ministry of Jesus from Luke chapter 10. Uh, It's the account of Mary and her sister Martha. You remember this one, I, I hope. Remember, Martha is running around like crazy. She's playing the hostess. She's busy serving her heart out. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's organizing. She finally cries out to Jesus, Would you tell my sister to help me? Because what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's listening to him teach. What is she doing? She's beholding beauty, and she's seeking truth. And remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, you know, uh, there's one thing necessary. There's one needful thing in any situation. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Psalm 27, verse 4? You know, there's really only one thing that you need, and it's what Mary has. And the good portion, Jesus himself, Jesus' presence, will not be taken from her. To sit in humble adoration, to behold the beauty of the one who gives himself for us, it's not just the one thing that we desire, it's the one thing that we need. Uh, Here's something that you get from both Psalm 27 and Luke chapter 10. Uh, The life of faith is not a life of hurried frenzy and frenetic activity. Uh, Volunteering, serving, helping, all of these things are important. We should all have this in our life. Uh, But the Bible never sanctifies exhaustion. You know, when when we talk about what it means to be a person of faith, Uh, We probably think, you know, well, I serve, I help, I evangelize, I study theology, you know, I do all these things. Rarely do people say, you know what it means to be a person of faith? I gaze, I behold, I contemplate, I am captured by the loveliness of Jesus. Uh, Gazing on the beauty of the Lord, it it just does not come naturally to us. A sin and a fallen world shift our gaze. Sin distorts our understanding of beauty. The world is always offering us some kind of fiery train wreck to gaze on. You know, social media captures our attention with bad news, real, hyperbolized, and imagined. We need to reorient our hearts around the beauty of the Lord from all the other false beauties and distorted beauties that try to claim our hearts. Uh, And one of the reasons we need to do that is because beholding beauty is transformative. It's transfiguring. Uh, What you gaze on is what you will become like. If you gaze all day on uh, the anger of the world, reading angry posts by angry people, and then you are shocked to find that it makes you angry... Uh, that's the way staring at something works. If you spend time living in Jesus' presence, 
and gazing on His beauty, that's what you'll become like. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that God has displayed His glory in the face of Jesus Christ, and that as we behold that glory in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. A transformation that will one day be complete because when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So let me just leave you with this on the Sunday before Christmas and always. Let me leave you with Jesus, a beautiful Savior. Uh, His beauty is that He is near. His beauty is that He gives Himself for us. His beauty is that He is at work in us. His beauty is that despite our failures, He still cares for us and calls us to follow Him. Uh, Let me leave you with the call to cultivate the one thing. To say, I want to have more of God. I want to see more of God. Uh, The reason that we fight sin or live for God or read the Bible is we want more of Him in our lives, and our vision is clouded by other things, and spiritual disciplines, and the means of grace, and the community of faith are all ways of unclouding our vision so we can be better at gazing on His beauty. Uh, So again this morning, behold the beauty of Emmanuel. Say, He's my Lord, He's my light, He's my salvation. He's my refuge. He's my beautiful Savior who created everything, but then whose feet touched the earth and whose body went to the cross to give himself for us. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. My faith can rise above any trial because as I behold God now, I will behold him on the other side of every struggle because he's the resurrection and the life. And so I can say what the psalmist says at the end of this psalm, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and I can wait for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together.